Listener Production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. The unexplained takes many strange forms. It's every mystery that has not been solved, every question that has not been answered. Are ghosts real? Are we alone in the universe? What is this lump on my testicles? No, for real, I should probably get that checked out. Charlie Clawson and Ben McClay are here to investigate. This is the Unexplained Explained. Ah, Ben, after much planning, it's uh, nice to say that the first session of the North East Australian Paranormal Society is in session. Uh, we uh, both have a shared interest in the paranormal, while not sh- sure if we're believers ourselves. <laughs> you, I believe, have one of the largest private collections of paranormal literature in Australia. Yeah, I'm willing to make that claim until someone tells me that it's not at all true. But also, that's kind of like putting bait out there, because I would love to meet the person that has the larger collection. Actually, I would love to meet a person that has a collection. Well, I have a collection, but mine, that's when, you know, I, I sort of would follow you on social media and I'd see, you know, photos of your library and stuff. And I was like, oh boy, I thought I was, had an interest in these weird op, st- op shop books, but then I've, I've found a guy who's like really into it. It's, it's a little over the top. <laughs> I think that the people who would class themselves as professional paranormal researchers and investigators would have vast kind of... I mean, I'm thinking end of Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of. Yeah. Although I, I would maybe if they were the sort of people who took this quite seriously would maybe preclude them from owning any of the sort of stuff that I have. Right. Like, you know, in that they're like, no, this is just pablum put out for the masses, doesn't cover the real deal. Although I was finding, I was reading through a bunch of them today and like how often they reference each other as like fellow academics experts. in the field yeah it's so good it's like a parallel world of people who view themselves quite seriously doing something that is 99 percent of the time extraordinarily silly so what ben and i have decided to do is traditionally in the lead up to halloween we would get together and we would uh go through some of the most bizarre kind of like online stories of like paranormal encounters and uh, people seem to like it and we definitely enjoyed it so we thought what we'd do this year instead is instead of just a one-off show we would do Four weeks in the lead up to the spookiest time of the year, we would do a month's worth of shows where each episode we focus on a different paranormal phenomenon uh, with a local focus. Uh, that wasn't my intent when I started, but when I just started to sort of go online and, and look for stories and things to talk about, I, I kept getting drawn back to Australian paranormal phenomena because I think that the way all of us, I'd say nearly everyone, <laughs> experiences paranormal phenomena is through Hollywood. You know, it's mm. uh, th- mostly that's yeah. how it's, it, that's how we are informed of it. And you know, our uh, what I've always imagined is what is a what is an Australian response to the same kind of because I can sort of see Americans behaving like Americans do in supernatural movies when something spooky happens. Oh my God, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we <laughs> yeah. Australians are very practical people. And I, I, I was always interested to know, well, what would that kind of egalitarian sort of blue collar attitude towards paranormal um, events look like? And so uh, that's what we're sort of like going to focus on over the next few weeks. Uh, this episode in particular, 
we're going to talk about the phenomenon of poltergeist. Now, Mike, uh, if you want to put in a spooky, I don't know. I was going to say thunderclap, but that feels very hammer horror. I don't know. What do you? It's like a theremin or something like that. What 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 spooky yeah. sound would come in when I say poltergeist? I like the theremin element to it. There's a real, you know, otherworldly, yeah, yeah, at the edges of science kind of feel to it. I like so, for that. anyone who has never seen the classic Spielberg film and the not so classic remake, uh, Ben, our resident paranormal expert, what is a poltergeist? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Poltergeist, an amazing film, by yeah. the way. Just as a, a side note, that what a fucking. Isn't it? It's a Toby Hooper film, isn't it? But it's yeah. the one that they say was covertly directed by yeah. Spielberg. I mean, it's one of those yeah. horrible things. There are certain directors, like the guy who directed A Nightmare Before Christmas, everyone sort of puts it down to Tim Burton, or the guy who directed Babe, everyone puts it down to George Miller. And I think Poltergeist, uh-huh. the idea was that, yes, it was a Toby Hooper film, but Spielberg's fingerprints were all over it. And you can sort of see it stylistically, right? Oh, and tonally as well, where it's there's this real capacity that Spielberg has for introducing an air of menace and then quickly turning it into a sense of awe. Mm. Like he did the same thing with Close Encounters where at the start it's meant to be quite terrifying, Yeah. But by the end it's something kind of beautiful. Sorry, huge tangent. I just no, love podcasts. No, no, I've seen that movie so many times. Well, it's not a tangent because that would be most people's understanding of what a, a poltergeist is it's a kind of not necessarily a spectral like a singular spectral uh, entity but more of a force yeah I, honestly i learned quite a lot about uh, poltergeist today <laughs> well learned i don't know if that's the right word i, I like read to a lot imagine about poltergeist that you went today. into your creaky like sp- spiderweb cob-filled library and you tanked down some ancient tome and open it and blow the dust off it <laughs> i mean it's more or less what happened uh, this was actually the first time I've been able to, instead of just sort of looking at it and appreciating it, use yes. it, for want of a better word. Like, I was like, all right, sweet. I'm going to just pull out every book that looked like it might contain something on poltergeist or ghosts, uh, which made me very, very aware that that library is 95% UFO stuff. <laughs> and a very small It's going to come in great stuff. episode three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be tremendous. That, honestly, I think will give me some sort of choice paralysis. <laughs> this one was far easier. Uh, so my main source here was a book called Confessions of a Ghost Hunter by a man called Harry Price from like 1935. Harry Price was an all-time classic. The, the man who got me first interested in paranormal research. Oh, yes. really? Yes. I When I was a kid, I'd go to the library and there was a bunch of Harry Price. Was it Bailey Manor? What was the, there's a, One of the, his most famous investigations was a manor in the UK that he went to like numerous times. I'm not sure, actually. I've so I've just got the one book from him that only has they one movie poltergeist about story him. in there. There's like a, a few years ago. There's oh. like one of those kind of Victorian sort of esque um, horror, classy one of those classy horror pictures. <laughs> the Harry Price Ghost Hunter, the TV movie from 2015. I don't think that's it. No, I think it's a that's, different one. Doesn't sound uh, great. Rebecca. I think what's her name? The uh, Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca, you know, from the town. Rebecca. <laughs> Do poltergeists affect your memory? Because I think there's a poltergeist. In I think this they room. do. Yeah, that's one of the first things they get. <laughs> so yeah, that I started with his one story of a poltergeist uh, in this book, which was so funny because it's so. This is from the 30s, uh, like 1936, I, I think. And it, you know, this is before we'd really developed the tone of like the 60s, 70s, and 80s paranormal detective, where 
the more of these you read, the more you get the impression that they're all doing a similar sort of. It's not generous to call it a con, but a it grift. is kind of a con where, yeah, they're doing an air of skepticism, but you know that they are definitely trying to sell to you that it's real, right? While being like, well, you know, maybe there is some mundane cause, but what mm. if, you know? It's a few too uh, many coincidences, that- if you know what I mean. Yeah, and he's doing that exact same right. thing. Like, it's tonally, it's identical. He's like the the proto version of that where he keeps offering all these possible mundane explanations for what's happening in this. So, he's visiting this house uh, that's having stuff thrown through the windows and onto the roof. And he says at the very start, well, immediately behind the house, there is a private asylum for uh, people with shell shock. (laughs) And they are within throwing distance (laughs) of the house. And he keeps bringing it back to that while also being like, but, you know, I saw some stuff there I can't really explain. Uh, And he, he doesn't get too specifically into the nature of Poltergeist, but he does sort of set that template where... They make knocking sounds, they knock stuff over, and then he moves on to the next chapter, which is honestly incredible. It's about him seeing a man with some sort of visible disfigurement four times in a city in Germany, (laughs) and he's absolutely convinced that it's a haunting. (laughs) The man does nothing wrong to him. He just runs into him a couple of times over the course of a week, (laughs) and he just stresses how ugly the man is. Immortalizes him in time. Um, It's very weird. He sounds like he's... Describing someone with a skin condition and nothing and else. So what is the uh, accepted uh, wisdom behind why poltergeist hauntings occur? That's such a, a wonderful question. Um, I actually found a pretty uniform answer for that that I did not expect. So I've got three other books here that I was looking at. I have The Poltergeist Experience, Investigations into Ghostly Phenomena by D. Scott Rogo <laughs> from 1979. <laughs> Someone needs to investigate that name. That's it's incredible. That, that's, I mean, I hope it's a pen name. I feel like if you had the surname Rogo, R-O-G-O, don't do the like first initial and then a name thing. You've already got enough on interest there. happening in your yeah. name. Yeah, keep it simple. It Just makes me think of that, that, that dairy treat they used to have in the 80s for kids, yoga. You can yoga anywhere yeah, yeah. you go. You can yoga when it's hot. You can With yoga those, uh, when it's lunchtime. You can yoga when it's not. Were they claymation? Yes. The, the a, insane. A, a gorilla. Yeah. A claymation gorilla. Yeah. yeah. The yoga gorilla. Yeah. You can rogo anywhere you go. You can rogo when it's hot. They were um, weirdly, I feel like those would have been crazy fucking expensive to make. Oh, yeah. But like, everyone in the 80s Claymation, stop motion. Money. It was just cocaine. It felt like filmmaking back in the 80s. <laughs> like, that's when you wanted to make music videos. Because my wife and I, oh, that's how we yeah. sort of started our production companies. We used to make, like, music videos for Sony and, and, and stuff like that. And we were coming into it as the budgets were dwindling. I think the highest budget we ever had was, like, you know, maybe $90,000 for, like, a three-day shoot, which is nothing. But in the 80s, they would spend, like – you know, a half a million dollars and you'd get like Ridley Scott in to shoot you. And and because it's a music video, it doesn't, you don't need a script. You don't need to make sense. Just get, we'll get a bunch of models. We'll just backlight, get me some blue neon. And we'll, we'll have the band playing in this room and everyone just did cocaine for four days. It was amazing. It was a better time. <laughs> uh, I also had a look through uh, the Ghost Hunting, A Practical Guide by Andrew Green, which I think is from the early 80s. And then just a sort of more generic Your Psychic World A to Z by Anne Petrie. Uh, Two of these books, it turns out, I don't know how this happened, had the same 
owner previous to me. What do you mean? Uh, like they're both laminated. Yeah. Like the the outer cover has got contact on it, but they've got the same name on the inside cover. Did you buy them at two different bookstores? Uh, honestly, I have no fucking idea. I probably like ninety percent of the books that are in this collection came from just dozens of visits to the Lifeline Book Fest. Right. Which even then the odds seem no, not really. Fair like unlikely. if you think of the way you donate to a op shop or whatever, you normally bulk donate. So, what's the key? Can you give us? You don't have to give us the last name. What's the first name of the? Well, it's only a first oh. name. Uh, in both of it, someone has taken a like sort of silver marker, yeah. silver metallic marker with Katie K A T I. Oh, it's quite interesting. no E. Yeah, just K A T I. I actually Katarina, I googled. Maybe. Katie and Poltergeist because they seem to have got quite a specific interest in this because they've underlined a bunch of stuff hmm, in one of the books. Wow. Do you think which, Katie was a medium? Maybe she was the, the I, Poltergeist was drawn to her. She was trying to work out why things are flying around her room. I mean, I, let me, I'm going to read you some of the things that she specifically underlined oh, yes. because there's, I don't know if I can draw a specific pattern here, but maybe you can. <laughs> So, first thing she has underlined in uh, the Poltergeist experience is uh, C.G. Jung, Freud's disciple, believed that the unconscious also houses the collective memories of our entire civilization. The Poltergeist is the direct expression of our primitive desires to lash out and express hostility, urges that are generally held in check by our conscious restraints. Okay. I mean, so she does that. Look, I'm, I'm immediately, my profiling of Katie goes to emo teenager. That's to me seems yes. like the kind of thing an emo teenager would underline because you're going through those kind of wild emotions, which it feels like sometimes you're possessed or there is a force behind you that you can't control. So I reckon. And it's funny that you say why. that because that's definitely going to come up uh, very shortly. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, some other things she's underlined sometimes the objects turn at a sharp angle and continue flight in a new direction. That's it, just that one sentence by itself. She has underlined the name Dr. Charles Tart. Nothing else. Wow. Do you think she planned uh, to get in touch with this Dr. Charles Tart? I want. I mean, I think he died in the. Oh no, I might have died in the nineties. I think so. She might have missed out. How on do that you one. know? Is he famous? Uh, I googled Dr. Charles Tart. And apparently, he is. He's famous for some out-of-body uh, experience experiments that he did. Yeah, right. The founders of the field of Wait, transpersonal no. psychology. Still alive. He's 86 in Pennsylvania. Good Lord. Well, maybe we should contact him and see if Kate's going to touch and can work backwards from there. She's also underlined some stuff about uh, poltergeist being caused by guilt. So that the thing you were saying about teens is that the common definition I found in all of these books is that they're caused by teens. It's not that they're caused by people. They are caused specifically by teenagers. By their turbulent emotional state. Yeah, um, let's see if I can find it. There was a really good, uh, quite long description of why, where they're like, it's a combination of like the sexual frustration, puberty. Yeah, in many cases, a child at the age of puberty is involved and appears to be the modus operandi. I don't know if that's what that. No, means. I don't think it is either. <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> the way of operating. I guess that makes sense. Uh, sex certainly seems to be the root cause of ah, many incidents fun. of psychokinesis. <laughs> yes, the root cause. Hey, I get it. there it is. 
Uh, a fairly common poltergeist phenomenon involves bedclothes being moved or thrown about, and this seems to occur more frequently when an elderly person is the agent. Subconscious sexual frustration may be the cause of this. How do you... So it's horniness. Horniness. How do you get to that with the elderly people, though? Like, why... why, why I guess I'm wondering, why is there a delineation between the destruction caused by the sexual pent-up sexual energy of a teenager and then... What is it? Bed linen <laughs> typifies yeah. elderly sexual frustration. Why well, don't I just, bed clothes? I believe. Like I don't know. So like young kids hurl around batteries and hammers and shit like that, and <laughs> old people, horny old people, just like, well, I can just lift up this pillowcase, <laughs> fling it across the room. I, I wonder if he's working under the apprehension that the elderly don't have sex. Uh, well, I'm certainly operating under <laughs> that assumption just for my own personal mental health. I mean, don't think about it too much, but there's, you know, the the crazy spread of STIs in oh, old folks' nice. homes because, right. yeah, none of them That's an episode of the X-Files they missed out on, isn't it? The <laughs> one where Mulder and Scully have to go. There's, like, just rampant poltergeist activity at a nursing home because everyone's just got so much pent-up sexual energy. Well, yeah, or, I mean, they're all fucking and they're fine <laughs> and it's, you know, <laughs> don't worry so about it's it. clearly got to be yeah, something else. Knocking you here it's on just the one of the guys that works there. It's supernatural. That's it. That's old Mrs. Briggs. <laughs> That's a, another thing that comes up. Crossed so. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to, just had to take it a little too far. I'm sorry about that. I apologise, listeners. Uh, uh, okay, so what else can you tell us about Poltergeist? Is there any other tidbits of information? Um, yeah, so there's a pretty standard form for them, at least right. according to, uh, this is again from The Poltergeist Experience by D. Scott Rogo. Uh, he describes the common things that happen with them are raps and blows, yep. so knocking sounds. Oh, so not like Will a... Smith rapping. <laughs> oh, that, no, be unfortunately not. They're not spitting bars yeah. <laughs> due to pent-up sexual frustration. <laughs> I guess there's copyright issues too. Like, I mean, can you be sued? If you're a ghost and you're, it's copywritten material, you're rapping like Eminem or something? There's almost certainly some weird legal precedent in the US for suing a ghost. <laughs> I bet good money on it. Uh, movement of objects, that's a common yep. one. Weirdly enough, uh, the in Confessions of a Ghost under the Harry Price one, he was talking about they had a problem where the chairs were sliding up the hallway and they were piling up on the, the kitchen table, which is exactly what they do with chairs in Poltergeist, yeah. which... Um, I wonder if they use that as reference material I think material that's – and there's also a reference to that sort of in Ghostbusters, the stacking. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's a common pulter. I remember having a book on the Supernatural as a kid and there was like grainy black and white photos of chairs all stacked on on top of each other. And it's like only a ghost could have done – and it doesn't Bill Murray have a joke like where they find a stack of books – He's like, it must be a ghost. And Bill Murray's like, yes, of course, only a ghost would stack. No human could stack books like that. <laughs> it's such a weird way to like, you know, if you accept that we're dealing with the paranormal and this is some crazy otherworldly visitation or whatever, these fixations with like specific objects. Mm. Uh, I was actually talking about this on an episode of Bunta Vista recently with a... <laughs> guy who discovered one of the elements on the periodic table of elements who also was fascinated with ghosts uh, believed like seances and mediums and shit was real and he was saying that specifically they only ever lifted chairs and he <laughs> was sort of trying to get ahead of the fact that people would say that was stupid <laughs> by being like well obviously it takes place in drawing rooms and there's only really chairs in there so that's what's going to happen it's not crazy <laughs> 
<laughs> very weird. I like that little moment of self-awareness, but not not enough to stop yourself from doing it. Well, it comes back to my one sort of gripe with any kind of paranormal activity, you know. Like I, I think on the scale of Scully to Mulder, I am like 99%, 99.9% Scully with like a 0.01% chance of, of being a Mulder. And that scepticism is all based around my frustration with the cryptic nature of hauntings. Like you had mm. the ability to pick up a chair. Can you not pick up a pen and write something down? Like, can you not hit the I keyboard? I am a ghost. And just tell us what the <laughs> fuck is going on. What's with all the like the cryptic clues and the coded message? And you got to find this locket because there was a body, body, an un, body buried in an unconsecrated grave. Like, just you know, just 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 make it easy for me. I don't want to yeah. have to solve mysteries the whole way along. <laughs> Little sign note saying. Ich bin ein Poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> I was murdered. Avenge me. So oh, literally, the, the name Poltergeist, it comes from the German, right? It means noisy ghost, right? Yes. Okay. But all of the experts doing scare quotes here, <laughs> um, they don't like that term. Okay. I mean, they use it, but they don't like calling it a ghost because they all believe that it is a physical manifestation of you know, someone's pent up emotions, someone with psychokinetic abilities. It's not actually another entity. It's coming from a person, almost always a team. Right. But sometimes the other. So I guess like, would you say then in a way, Carrie is more a film about a poltergeist than poltergeist? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true because she's not doing it consciously, is she? Not Not initially. I guess the- Not initially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would that sounds like poltergeist behavior to me. Yeah, oh my god, we've blown the lid off this thing for episode one. God, we're good. Neeps, we the are North, the experts. The Northeast Australian Paranormal <laughs> Society has bloody landed a huge blow for science. <laughs> Carrie was not a film about a girl with telekinesis. It's actually a poltergeist film, more of a poltergeist film than poltergeist. That's so true. Have you um? I I don't know if we've discussed this before, but have you had any ghost adjacent? No. No. Things? Nothing? No. The closest I've come to ghost is like vivid dreams of dead people. <laughs> Talk that I, People that I know that are dead having vivid dreams where they're in the room and where I wake up, I feel like, oh, my God, they were just there. But that is – I've never with my conscious mind and my conscious eyeballs seen a, a, a spook spirit or apparition. Wow. Have you? That's, um, I mean, that, that sounds more harrowing, <laughs> uh, arguably. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say I've I've seen a ghost. I would say I have definitely convinced myself that uh, I've scared the shit out of myself. I used to work at this uh, cinema in Brisbane. Um, it was called Tribal Theatre at the time when I worked there. Before that, it was uh, it had a, it's like a hundred year old cinema, beautiful old historic building that is now a Hillsong, which um, you know, not great. <laughs> uh, but what can you do? Uh, but the the people that I worked there with were significantly more spiritual and superstitious than I was and were absolutely convinced that there were several ghosts in that building. And I had a few things happen there where I was like, oh, shit. I like heard noises coming out of the basement once that just scared the piss out of me and I didn't want to go down there. Uh, I was absolutely convinced whenever I was vacuuming in Cinema One that there was someone walking behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that feeling never really went away. Hated doing that job. And then one time, this is the one that stuck with me the most. Uh, the way the cinema was setting up 
setup was like it was a proper cinema back when you still had those where there was a projection booth there was a film projector and then next to the booth with the projector in it there was the table that you would cut and like stick back together the your film reel so you could make one continuous reel to put on the thing uh, and I was in there one time with the projectionist while we were like splicing together something and I kept getting these little the projector was running next to us in the other room I kept getting this little flicker in the corner of my eye. I was like, oh, that's really weird. Just, But I was like, oh, you know, it's probably just because there's this thing that's just flashing a shitload of lights, right? So, like, that's sort of going to happen. But, like, I felt very distinctly like I kept seeing the flicker as, like, the silhouette of a person oh, yeah. about person-sized. And I was just like, well, that's fucking stupid. So I'm just going to ignore that. And then after like 30 seconds of that, the projectionist turns to me and he's just like, did you see a woman over there? And I was just like, no, 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 We had someone quit as a projectionist because they got supposedly haunted. They had. Listen, I've never had a supernatural incident, but if you ask me to sleep overnight in a famously haunted place, then I'm probably not going to enjoy myself and will imagine that I've heard, seen and heard a lot of things. So I'm still a scaredy cat about all that. In fact, even in doing mm. research for this series, I've been like staying up late and I live in an old Queenslander that's full of creeks and knocks and stuff in the middle of the night. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like, even though I'm a skeptic, I have this, uh, this kind of sneaking concern that by – researching and putting my energy into studying things like this, I am somehow inviting bad things to happen. <laughs> like something, yeah. you know, reading about poltergeists and like, well, is that, if they're all floating around up there just waiting for a green light, have I just given them the green light to come down and start knocking on my doors and windows and <laughs> throwing things around my house? Like last night I was going up the stairs and I got all the way to bed and I was like, oh shit, like I think I left whatever down in the office and I have to go down these creaky stairs through my down, downstairs living area, which has got like reflective surfaces fucking everywhere. So everything looks like you're seeing your, <laughs> you're seeing your darkened silhouette pass uh, or, or, on every angle. And I remember being yeah. like, oh, this is shit. I want to turn all the lights on. <laughs> like I don't want to go down there on my own. So yeah, skeptic, but uh, easily, easily spooked by stuff. I'm very susceptible to the same thing. Like, I just, I know on every conscious level, intellectually, I could say, no, none of that is real. That's just not happening. But I can make myself so scared so easily. It's very fucking stupid. The human brain is just like, I don't know, or at least mine is, very <laughs> capable of being like, ghosts aren't real. But what if there was? But All right, I'm turning all the I lights on. I think that's what's going on, though. That's what I'm convinced is happening is that, because our brains are these problem-solving machines, you know, and, you know, we don't necessarily see things. Light enters our eyeballs. Our brain interprets that data and constructs an image of what's in front of us, you know. So it makes sense to me that occasionally that data that comes in is faulty and that your brain, you know, mistakes that shadowy corner for, corner for being a woman standing in the corner. And it yeah. constructs the most realistic fucking woman that you've ever seen in your life. And for a split second, you see a woman that you're bright from your imagination staring back at you and then she's gone and you'd be like, she was right there. I didn't imagine it. You know, so to me, that yeah. makes complete sense. So what's the, the word for it? Par- Paradelia? Is that it? I think I've that, an, the pronunciation That's an album that. by Something for Kate, I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I love Something for Kate. Uh, it's like we're... we're Pattern recognition machines. And like you said, that so much of what we see is, 
like, I mean, this is a weird philosophical question, but like, is interpretation? Mm-hmm. Is our brain looking for patterns, and then it's not. I don't even have language to describe this, but yeah, a lot of it is just what's been put together by our brain and then it interpreting it and then telling us. I don't know what I am in this situation if I'm not my brain, but that's another question. Uh, I understand what you're saying. It's a processor that is feeding you with its best possible approximation. This is what we think you are looking at. You know, like I, I remember I listened to a TED talk which said that, you know, this idea that we sort of just observe things and it's this one-way street where, you know, your brain constructs the way of light hitting objects to tell you what's in the room that you're in. But in a lot of ways, it's a two-way street and your, you know, your kind of cognitive biases and your predisposition to believe certain things is going to shape the way that data is interpreted. And so they did this experiment in this TED Talk where they played this sort of garbled message three times and he kept pressing the audience, can you hear the message that's in that? Can you hear the message in that? And they're like, no, no, no. And then he played it a fourth time and this time you heard quite clearly Brexit was a mistake. And then when he played the garbled for the fifth time, you could clearly hear Brexit is a mistake. And he said, but Brexit is a mistake is not in that fifth recording. I just played it to you. that's good. And then you said, okay, well, I've been told this is the message I'm listening to. And so there is this idea that that's why people like say to me, oh, you need to believe, then you'll start, you know, you'll have a psychic experience. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, if I've already decided that it's going to happen, then it makes sense that I'm going to have that experience. Yeah. But the, specifically the, the thing where I felt like I was being followed while doing the vacuuming, <laughs> nothing happened. Like, literally, I turned on the vacuum and I vacuumed. <laughs> there was no other things going on. If I hadn't gone into that experience being like, oh, this place is haunted to fuck. <laughs> like, I would just another day I would at work. Just a bit of, yeah, I would have just been a guy vacuuming <laughs> up, like, tons of popcorn. Like that. But, you know, once you get yourself into that very impressionable state it's i think it's we have the same capacity to convince ourselves into being haunted in the same way that like if you go into a room ready to laugh you could see the worst comedian in the world and the jokes could be completely nothing and you probably still laugh once you're primed for laughter the body just kind of does it you convince yourself that you're having fun if you convince yourself that you're about to be spooked by something you got to find a fucking way to spook yourself it's going to happen yeah hey ben are you ready to hear about the poltergeist of Humpty Doo? Oh, I, I'm so ready. Let's get to it. <laughs> so a bit of background on this story. When I was a teenager, I remember there being a story on Today Tonight about a poltergeist in the Northern Territory. And my memory of this was that it was like an unusually long, like normally on Today Tonight, they might do three or four stories, five minutes each, right? But they dedicated pretty much an entire episode and they treated it with such gravitas and, you know, the phenomena that they were capturing of like objects flying, you know, across like CCTV cameras and stuff with such kind of um, seriousness that even though I was a young man at the time, probably like 19 or 20, I was sitting there going, fuck, like, is this evidence that it's real? Like you've got a, a proper news organization today, tonight. The, <laughs> That's as serious as it gets. <laughs> the serious journalists of today, tonight are telling me that they've been up there, they've spent a week in this house and that they've seen these things and it's real. 
And so over the intervening years, I had sort of memories, details had faded and to the point where I'd started to doubt whether or not I'd actually ever seen it. I remember talking to my wife about it and being like, I remember watching this fucking crazy episode of Today Tonight where they were just telling us that ghosts were real and they were showing shit <laughs> flying around and and it wasn't like, it didn't stop the nation. And I just, sometimes I wonder if I imagined it or not. Anyway, cut to now, we're preparing to do this series and I start digging around and I come across this story, which apparently is Australia's, uh, like one of Australia's top two haunting stories, which is the poltergeist of Humpty Doo. <laughs> now, who's, how are they ranking those? I don't know. Northern Territory, <laughs> it turns out, is like our Florida. Like when it comes to crazy ass fucking stories, the Northern Territory has quite a few because I believe they have uh, one and two of the most famous poltergeist <laughs> stories in Australia. <laughs> but I want to focus well done, on this John. one in particular because this was the one that I saw all those years ago. So it's August of 1997. Humpty Doo is a small town about 40 kilometres outside of Darwin, a little quiet little country town. And in this house, Jill Somerville and Dave Clark move in. It's 90 McMinn's Drive. And they have their mate, Doug Murphy, move in with them as well. Now, they're all, you know, salt of the earth, blue collar, maybe some bikey links, who knows? But they're sort of, <laughs> you know, they, are, they are not those who are prone to drama. They're just your pretty ordinary Northern Tatorians or Australians, we'll call them in this instance. Now, in January 1998, so about four months later, another family move in with them, and that's Andrew and Kirsty Aegis, who've got a daughter, Jasmine, who's about 11 months old. Things are going fine. They're loving living in this part of the Northern Territory. But not long after the all five move in together, weird things start to happen. Objects start flying around the house, bits of glass, beer bottles, knives sometimes. And every housemate, apart from Jasmine the baby, felt like at some point they are targeted by one of these objects. You know, they'll turn around and something smashes on the wall next to them or the, something will fall from the ceiling. Um, gravel and seashells would start to rain from the ceiling in the kitchen, um, materialising just below the level of the ceiling and then falling onto anyone who's sitting at the table. Now, after a while, um, they sort of take it with good humour. And this is what I mean about that Australian response to kind of poltergeist <laughs> activity. It's, it's an annoyance and an inconvenience more than anything. But they like the house and they don't want to move out. So they put up with the fact that occasionally things go flying off the walls or fall from the ceiling and they just consider it's just, you know, part of living in this part of Australia and Humpty Doo. So presumably no one's been hit by a knife or broken no, glass yet. It, they felt vaguely threatened but not ever mm. like – they felt that the, the they would – the poltergeist wanted their attention but was not actually trying to hurt them, just okay. like an annoying housemate more than anything. <laughs> um, so then comes the day where they think, well, maybe we should try and communicate with said spirit. So they laid out some Scrabble tiles and they told the spirit that if it wanted to communicate, it could. The next day they wake up to find that some of the tiles have been arranged to spell out words, but not only that, some of the pebbles that have been raining from the ceiling have also been arranged into words that spell out fire, skin, car, help, and Troy. Now, one of the housemates, Murphy, had a friend called Troy Radatz who had died in a fiery car crash only two months earlier. Apparently he'd been oh. transporting uh, tins of paint thinner and uh, the car had crashed and they caught fire and he'd been burnt alive, uh, so, uh, immolated in his own car. Um, on March 20, 
A large trident and cross appeared formed in the middle of the kitchen with pebbles and stones. Now, a number of witnesses came around and saw this. School teacher Annette Taylor and her partner Lloyd Green witnessed the, uh, the trident and the cross, and they said that it happened in an area that people were passing in and out of the whole day, and it was impossible to conceive that someone could have put, put these intricately built uh, uh, sculptures together with the with the pebbles in such a short space of time. In fact, Lloyd said he couldn't have done it with hours and uh, a straight edge and a ruler. So Dave, one of the housemates, decides that they need to move the pebble trident and the pebble cross from their kitchen floor. But when he touches the pebbles, they go flying. And then everything goes apeshit. Everything in the kitchen <laughs> flies off. Windows get broken. Appliances are flying around. Do we, were there any guesses as to the symbolism of the trident? <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's a good point. Uh, there, I, I haven't actually come across anything in all the articles I've read about this. There was, but they just mentioned there was a trident. I guess maybe Aquaman. With yeah, Aquaman, maybe. <laughs> they, yeah, they were like I in mean, twenty years, Jason Momoa <laughs> is going to capture the hearts of the world. <laughs> Like, it'd be very odd if uh, we got a message from the afterlife and they're like, oh, it turns out two two religions were right. Judeo Christian <laughs> God is real and Neptune, the God of the sea, is real as well. I mean, I don't know. What is the, is there any kind of symbolic um, uh, relevance of, of tridents? What does, does it suggest? Or maybe it was a pitchfork. Pitchfork, maybe. Yeah, that's the both ends of the spectrum, yeah. I guess. You got a choice between the cross or, or the pitchfork. Um, Jill, one of the housemates, said at the time, we would have moved out but we had nowhere else to go. So now it's become a bit more threatening. The references to Troy uh, have unnerved everyone quite a bit, so they decide they need help. So what's the first thing you do uh, when you need help with a spook or a spectre is you call a priest. <laughs> mm-hmm, yep. So they contact Father Stephen D'Souza. Didn't Stephen D'Souza write like Robocop or Alien or something, or is that another D'Souza? I'm not sure. <laughs> it might be Stephen Souza, actually. I think he wrote Street Fighter. Anyway, not the same person, I'm assuming. Although it would be amazing if the <laughs> amazing. guy who wrote Incredible. the movie Street Fighter was also a Catholic what a life. priest. So he did an inspection of the house and he said that he went into the kitchen and he saw a steak knife on top of a microwave and he turned his back. He heard someone call out his name. When he turned around, he saw the knife fly off the microwave and head towards him, stop inches from his chest, and then drop to the ground. Oh, so that's like the the sentence that uh, Katie underlined in the Poltergeist book about them stopping and then changing Turning direction right suddenly. Well, there we go. I, I, what was unclear from that statement was when he heard his name, was it one of the housemates called his name? To say, hey, look, there's a knife coming, or if it's the poltergeist. So I'm not sure. It doesn't seem very consistent with poltergeist activity that it would yell something out. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, it's quite funny to imagine um, the Australian accent really undermines a haunting. Yeah. Like, you know, when it, whenever in a movie a ghost is saying something, it's always in like a Vincent Price sort of like very over-the-top theatrical accent. But just imagine someone just being like, get out. Get out. Like, piss off. Fuck off. <laughs> Rack off. Oh, yeah, Rack right. off. It's, yeah, it's Alf uh, from uh, Home and Away. He's haunting your house. Uh, so Father DeCesar wasn't phased and he speculated uh, that someone in the house was a medium and was attracting this uh, negative energy, which is kind of what you're saying. Less of a, mm. a, a ghost haunting and more of a energetic um, imbalance. So <laughs> I love this quote. 
So he performed a religious ritual, but admitted that they very rarely worked. <laughs> so what's the fucking point? That's wow. like, like a pest inspector coming in and saying, look, you got termites. Sure, I can spray yeah. them. Probably not going to do anything, but I'll still charge yeah, you for it. Start looking for other places now. Yeah. It's a very funny admission as well from a priest. Like the idea of, you know, that God's power is total. Infallible. The, yeah. Except when it comes to getting rid of poltergeist, <laughs> where you're like, ah, yeah, it's like 10% of the time maybe. Yeah. But uh, otherwise he's shit out of luck, sorry. So he performed the ritual uh, and that housemate said that they did experience a, a brief respite um, from uh, the poltergeist activity. The, the priest informed them that they weren't going to get rid of it with any kind of blessing or ritual, that the poltergeist will just move on when it's good and ready, which is the same advice I got from a snake catcher in my area when I found a <laughs> python. And I said, can you relocate? And they said, well, you know what? The python's probably better better to live with it than not because it'll keep, you know, rats and, and bigger and scarier, more venomous snakes away. And also it'll move on when it's done. So it's good to know that if you have a python. You've got to learn to live with the python. That's the stage that we're at That's now. right. Um, so after this brief respite, the activity started up again and it was worse this time. So they turned to a second priest, Father Tom English, who – I presume, uh, I presume was the brother of uh, Pirates of the Penzance, John English. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit of a reference to one of my other podcasts. Uh, anytime we come across anyone with the surname English, we assume that they're related to musical theatre star John English. I know a John English. Oh, do you really? He's Is not, he related to John English? Star. No, he actually took... Um, he took English on as a as sort of a pseudonym because he didn't like his his previous surname, but it was he did it before the release of Johnny English, the movie, right? <laughs> starring, yeah, very okay. unfortunate. So over the next four visits, uh, Father Tom English said he saw objects fly through the air, and stated, "The entity does not obey the laws of physics." I would argue, Ben, the entity does obey the law of physics. Because yeah, it's throwing I mean, objects and they're falling to the ground. That is showing gravity at work. That's yep, showing, you know, like they're exhibiting velocity. ballistic motion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they had instantaneous acceleration or, you know, they broke the speed of light, maybe you'd be like, wait a damn second. This is completely outside of our understanding of physics. So something new happened when Tom uh, came to visit, Father Tom, and that was a pistol cartridge materialized out of thin air and dropped to his feet. Now, that is an image I remember from the Today Tonight episode, because it was so specific. I'm like, why is this poltergeist dropping, like, pistol cartridges? Like, I can yeah. understand household items, but that's, you know, that's 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 oddly specific. Yeah, it, it seems sort of um, almost gauche, almost, you yeah, know? Like, like usually, thick. Yeah, because they're doing things in a sort of more timeless fashion. Oh, you're moving chairs around, you're doing whatever. That. You know, that's classy. Yeah. That's subtle. <laughs> Just like the knives and pistol cartridges. You're like, what are you doing? Settle down. Yeah. Don't overplay your hand here. Well, unlike Father D'Souza, Father English um, decided that a blessing would help, but it went wrong and the poltergeist went completely apeshit. Windows were broken, appliances again flying around, multiple broken windows. Enter a Greek Orthodox priest. So I love that. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me a third time. Let's get a let's get a Greek Orthodox priest. Let's get serious. Yeah. Let's go to the one church I definitely respect. Yeah. So he tried blessing the house, but the poltergeist did not like that, and he was assaulted. At first, the ghost tried to rip the book from his hands. 
um, I guess like the, the the Greek Orthodox Bible or whatever it is. Um, and then in a move that co- mimics many bullies across Australian schools, he bent the priest's arm behind his back. Oh, wow. I would love it if yeah. he gave him a typewriter and spat in his mouth. It's <laughs> such a classic move. That's wild. <clears throat> or a wedgie. Yeah. Imagine getting a wedgie from a poltergeist. Um <laughs> So the disturbances from then on uh, were very irregular, just not only in timing but their intensity. Sometimes it was sort of uh, a constant, like, you know, uh, days, hours, days on end of of disturbances, and sometimes it's very intermittent where you'd have something happen and then nothing for days. Um, The occupants uh, found themselves bothered by the disturbances, but other times they found it kind of amusing, a bit like being in a theme park. Um, but they were very tough and working class people, and ultimately, the ghost just gave them the shits. <laughs> so you're wondering <laughs> what that Aussie response is? You go there. It's giving me the shits. I'm sick of the fucking thing," said Murphy. <laughs> Fuck. The only room that wasn't affected by the poltergeist was baby Jasmine, the 11 month old, uh, suggesting that there was some kind of intelligence behind this poltergeist. That it was mm. saying that the child. The child is off limits. Or that whatever human was pranking them was like, I can't fuck with a baby. That's just mean. (laughs) So uh, the two journalists from the Lichtfield Times uh, uh, hear about this uh, haunting. The word spreads from Huntingdoo all the way to Darwin. So they travel down from Darwin and witness several incidents themselves. Uh, They run a story in the local paper and it goes – uh, the 1998 equivalent of viral. And suddenly they're getting requests from all around the world, radio stations in America and Europe. They all want to know about the poltergeist of Humpty Doo. So the residents of the house are getting more stressed out by the media attention than the poltergeist now. And so in their minds, they'll just do one um, exclusive deal with a network and they feel like that that's it. That'll take away the other media interest. Hopefully it'll bring some answers and they can just like – so they signed an exclusive deal with Today Tonight. He spent the whopping amount of $5,000 for exclusive rights to the story. I mean, 98. Oh, like inflation hasn't sort of gone up by that much that 5000 would be. That's not life-changing money even back then, right? No. No, that's cheap as fuck. Um, so that's like $1,000 per housemate, I guess. That's where they broke it down. Um, so the Today Tonight crew – uh, come and spend a week at the house. So there's the uh, the field reporter, there's the producer, a couple of cameramen. Um, another journalist from uh, uh, The Good Weekend has hitched a ride. Um, he's written an amazing <laughs> column about it that you can find yeah. online. Uh, Max something or another, I forget his name, um, where he's sort of like going in thinking, oh, this will be fun, like, you know, ghost hunters on the trail, but then – gets very much sucked into the story. It's a very, it's a really good read. So anyway, the camera crew become quick believers from today to night um, as they experience objects moving about, cameras having their uh, focus adjusted and changed and twisted around, batteries becoming hidden or flying around the rooms. However, despite what they experience in person, on camera they only capture three events that could be considered paranormal. One is a baby bottle falling off a fridge. Another is a bullet falling from the ce- the ceiling, apparently materialising out of thin air. And another one is just a jar lid falling off the table. <laughs> so despite what they experience in person, what is captured on camera uh, is not that convincing. So even though the field producer and the host uh, and the cameraman all fly back to Sydney 
can like professing that you know what they experienced was probably paranormal. The producers back in Sydney and uh, the host at the time, Peter Luck, they decide that it's bullshit, and so they twist the story from being a uh, a a a. a a story about this rare phenomenon into an expose about a house full of conmen trying to pull one over the Australian public. They sort of pointed to events like the um, the first occurrence occurred, the first paranormal occurrence on April first in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, sorry, yes, in nineteen ninety eight. So there was rumours going around that it was just this huge prank. And in that other article, the Good Weekend article written by that journalist, he sort of talked about, you know coming away from the trip with the Today Tonight crew and being a believer as well and then getting a phone call from one of the producers and going into the edit a couple of days later and apparently after the initial shoot was done, they sent a cameraman in to get some pickups and in his footage of an object flying across the room, if you zoom in, you do the enhance, enhance, you could see the mm-hmm. reflection of Kirsty, one of the housemates, in the background appearing to throw an object. So that was enough <laughs> for the producers of Today Tonight to say, this is a hoax, no one should believe it. So the housemates were devastated because they felt like they'd been lied to by Today Tonight rather than getting vindication for this kind of traumatic four-month experience. They were painted as being like these scumbags and drug addicts and liars and con men. Um, Two days later, a couple of paranormal researchers, Tony Healy and Paul Cropper, uh, make contact. And and you can imagine the housemates are pretty surly. They don't want to talk to anyone else. They think the media are all lying scumbags. But they explain that they're actually not from the media – they can't offer any money. They're just paranormal researchers and they just want to sort of see what's going on. So they uh, um, are allowed to stay and over the next few days they experience what they claim to be up to 30 instances of supernatural activity, much of the same thing, gravel falling from the ceiling, seashells, things getting flown, flung around the room. Now, Tony Healy and Paul Cropper, they admit that they are inclined to believe they're paranormal researchers and so – you know, they try and sort of back this up with as much evidence as they can, but ultimately, you know, they know that they are, they cannot produce that peer-reviewed data that would uh, mm. conclusively <laughs> state that poltergeists exist. Um, what they found very compelling, though, was the testimony of the housemates, which they said if it was a con, it seemed odd that they would continue this con for two guys who were there with no money and no cameras uh, for the next week. Like, why would they continue to sort of, pull this con. I mean, I would argue to save face. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Because you're that far into it, it would kind of be humiliating to backtrack now. Yeah. Um, over the next uh, week or two, more journalists visit. And by when all when things are all said and done, there are up to 30 witnesses who claim to have uh, experienced, if not direct paranormal activity, events that they couldn't explain. Now, while this is all going on, the <laughs> landlord of 90 McMinn's Drive is like, what the fuck is happening at my house? Why do I keep seeing it on the news and in the paper? <laughs> so he pays a visit to the house and he finds broken windows. <laughs> he finds like Christ. smashed appliances. So when he comes across all this damage, he's like, you're fucking out of here. Like I'm tearing up the <laughs> rental agreement and I'm evicting you. However, the housemates appeal. It goes to arbitration and the housemates win. <laughs> Now, oh. I can only assume they win because the only argument for them not being evicted is that the person leading the arbitration is like, well, clearly they're the victims of a poltergeist haunting. Uh, poltergeist's real. You guys are fine. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Fuck, that's amazing. 
So the tenants eventually move out um, and then the incidents immediately cease, which is a non-coincidence, isn't it? Mm, Very strange. Um, So the two guys are Tony Tony Healy and Paul Cropper, who initially in their first um, uh, investigation of the house said, you know, look, we don't know conclusively, but a lot of the stuff we felt – experience felt very real and so i read this article that was like a a um what would you call it like a they revisited one of the articles they wrote about this and um he sort of talks towards the end of the article in the original article about um viewing video footage they shot at the time where he's talking to one of the housemates and one of the housemates saying to him you know it's the thing about living with a poltergeist is you just never know what to expect and then bang like you know this the battery goes rocketing across the room and he talks about like, oh, God, like how unnerving it was. And so then when he sort of revisits that same article, he's watching alternate footage that another camera crew shot with another group of people and he sees the housemate go through the same spiel where she's like, you never know when the poltergeist is going to do next. And then a bang, a battery goes. Oh. And so he writes this little postscript saying, mm, yes, you can see the poltergeist has very good timing indeed. So after all that, the the ones who believers it feels like were were skeptics by the end. God damn, that's a damn damn shame. <laughs> it still hasn't stopped me though. Like, if you are listening and you know where I can find that original today tonight footage, because there is one little clip on YouTube. It's like a two minute clip where they use um, thermal cameras, because the idea being that if the objects are being thrown by a human, when you put the thermal camera on it, you'll find fingerprints or like a handprint on the object. But when they use the thermal cameras, the whole object is heated up. And apparently that is quite consistent with poltergeist activity as well. Oh, as objects I like that. Get quite heated. So the expert, the thermal camera expert in Today Tonight is like the only explanation I can give is they were microwaving the objects and then hurling them across the room, which seems unlikely. But, yeah, um, don't microwave batteries. <laughs> um, I don't know what will happen, but there's no way it can be good. So that was uh, the first uh, meeting of the Northeast Australian Paranormal Society. Thank you for joining us. Um, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we would love to hear your stories of the unexplained, no matter what it is. Ben and I are ready to believe you. <laughs> That's true. So if you've got a story to share with us, even if it's a story that you heard secondhand, we would love to hear it. So just go to tofop.com and contact us via the website. Hey, Ben, we've got someone on the line with a a story to tell. Uh, Emily, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much uh, for for joining us on the show. Now, I believe you had a a spooky encounter with a ghost. Is that right? Um, I suppose you could call it a series of ghosts, if you like. Even better. (laughs) Oh, that's very intriguing. (laughs) Um, So to kind of set the scene, I worked in an old church that had been converted to a music store. Um, So my colleague... Sanity or JB Hi-Fi? No, so a standalone music store, we sold um, string instruments. Oh, right, like an actual proper, like you sell musical instruments, not not music to be listened to. Okay. (laughs) Not music to be listened to. Okay. Um, So I'd kind of seen a few unexplainable things over the years on security cameras, like light that shouldn't be on security cameras, things like that. But it's old church, you know, rickety old building. Hang on. So don't, don't let's not let's not burn the steps. I wanna I wanna soak up every detail of this. So when you say you're seeing lights as in lights in rooms within the store would come on when they shouldn't be coming on, that kind of thing? Or lights um, floating through the air like orbs. Yeah, kind of like 
things floating through the air or like flashes of light in the corner of cameras, but there would be no one like up in that area where the security cameras would kind of be on, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, or there'd be unexplained noises, like footsteps occasionally where there was no one upstairs, like we'd be all downstairs and you'd hear footsteps and it would kind of be like, oh, you know, it's a creepy old building, like it creaks, just is what it is. Is, was it a, um, was it adjoined? Was it freestanding? I mean, could it have been like your next door, like the tenant next door walking? Um, so it is freestanding, but there was a boys' brigade hall oh. next door. Okay, well, that's. I mean, like we don't know there anymore. I think yeah. that, that, that boys' brigade that was <laughs> responsible for ninety five percent. of everything yeah. that happened. <laughs> Anything spooky? It was yeah. the boys. Yeah, totally. And because, you know, they had scouts and bands rehearsed and all those kinds of things. So often you could be like, oh, it's probably the boys' brigade, but it would sometimes be so late at night that it couldn't logically be the boys' brigade and we'd all be a bit freaked out. So like, you, you'd hear footsteps when the boys' brigade were long gone? Yeah, do you, yeah. Do you, did you investigate? Like if you heard footsteps coming from upstairs, you go up and, and go, who's there? And like put the light on and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So we would do that or we'd because we had access to the security system on our like phones or our laptops or whatever, we would look at the security, like all of the security cameras and just double check there wasn't kind of like a customer around or someone had broken in or whatever, like, you know, because there was a security element to it being a store. Mm. Um, so we would always check it out. But I, the kind of flashes of things that I saw in the corners of cameras occasionally, like, you know, Sometimes I'm very cynical about ghosts and then other times I'm like, no, it was a ghost. Like, this is not the explanation. So, yeah, always, always kind of checked it out, but it was unexplained. Um, and so, yeah, a few years ago I was downstairs. We'd closed the store for the day. Um, no one was up there. So it was just me and my colleague and we were, uh, how should I word this? Uh, having a little bitch about everything and everything. Oh, well, I going to say having sex. But I, like, I don't know why you're being so polite about it. That's fine. Yeah, we do that, of course. Okay. Um, and so we were talking shit downstairs and we'd been there. Like we would close at 5 p.m. We'd probably get customers out well and truly by like 5.15, 5.30, depending on the day. But it was like... 8 o'clock at night, so like well, well and truly closed, and no one was upstairs. Yeah. It was just my colleague and I, and I heard footsteps above us because um, we we're in the offices downstairs. But the weird thing was, is I also heard giggling. Uh, yuck! Mm, hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know being very cynical, but then also sometimes being in touch with the other side. I'm like, oh, I won't say anything because it could just be me imagining it. Um, I won't say anything. And so I kind of just let my friend keep talking and he was like, did you hear that? And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, the footsteps. He's like, the giggling. And I was like, oh, my God, you heard it too. Like, no way. And did, did it sound like the giggling was coming from the same place as the footsteps, like a child was running? Yeah, like some, yeah, so was, some Victorian child who died of consumption or something like that, <laughs> running through your store. It kind, of, yeah, it kind of sounded like little kids, kind of 
playing around like a ring around the posy or something like that and giggling like it was very innocent sounding but it was super creepy because it was like later in the evening like no one was in the store like it was just me and my colleague like it was kind of weird um and so we had the security cameras like on our laptop so we brought it up Mm. nothing upstairs the footsteps continued so we went upstairs like double check there was no customers because we were kind of freaking out at that stage because the giggling had kind of continued. Oh, my God. And nothing. And so we went back downstairs to like kind of grab our stuff and we were like, oh, you know, maybe it was the boys' brigade. And then my colleague's like, no, no, remember, the boys' brigade came over and told us there's nothing happening this week in the building. Like we've we've got the keys, like make sure it stays locked and no one kind of messes about on the premises. So there wasn't even like the boys' brigade excuse this time. <laughs> so we kind of hightailed it out of there pretty quickly after that. But in the kind of days afterwards, we were like, oh, you know, like being old church, like is it kids that something bad happened to in the church and they're haunting the church or is it like a happy haunting? Like Emily, I've got, I've got some good news. <laughs> Nothing bad has ever happened to a child oh, in the church. Yeah, exactly. Christ alive. <laughs> Yeah, like we were, we were so freaked out. <laughs> that is a creepy story. Actually, the other night I was doing some uh, reading about ghosts and, and and stuff, and then um, I went up. My daughter's bedroom adjoins our, the master bedroom, and my wife was already asleep. And I thought I'd just go check on my daughter before I went to bed, having just read for a couple of hours about spooks and spectres. And when I go yeah. in, she's on her knees, she's facing the wall, just bolt upright, oh, just facing the wall, on. like. Classic Japanese, like her long hair just hanging oh over her God. shoulders. And I was like, hey, Iona, Iona. <laughs> she didn't respond. And I put oh my, my hand God. on her shoulder, fully expecting her to turn around with the face of some kind of demon. But she, yeah. was, she was just asleep. She was having trouble breathing because she had a cold. Just, oh. <laughs> I love having uh, like friends of mine who are new parents who have you know stories of their kids just like facing a corner and just being like, hey, what are you doing? They're like, oh, I was just talking to the nowhere man. Yeah. You're like, oh, don't fucking yeah. You weren't having a conversation with the nowhere man. Don't say shit like that he to me. He says he needs souls to fuel himself, <laughs> to sustain himself. He's so hungry. (laughs) Emily, thank you so much for coming on this show. And uh, hopefully that is your last encounter with phantom children. (laughs) Oh, I hope so. Meanwhile, I'll just worry about the man that I occasionally see roaming through my parents' house unexplainably. What? Is that? You're just (laughs) going on. You're going to leave that on the cutting room floor? No, you know what we're going to do then? is we're going to call Emily next week for next week's show and we're going to get <laughs> that story. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Emily. We'll speak soon. Thank you. Bye. Huge fan. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> uh, next week, we're going to be in search of the famed Australian Bigfoot, the Yowie. And here's a little teaser. In the morning, they found a large indistinct footprint and several metre-high bushes which had been ripped right out of the rock-hard ground and hurled all over the place. Because the school staff wanted to utilise the campsite regularly, the boys were ordered on their return to Southport not to say anything about the incident. (laughs) We greased a lot of palms to get this campground. Don't fuck this up for us. An article about it in the school paper was censored. Oh, there you go. There's your answer. 
Ben, uh, thanks for, for joining me on this journey. Um, um, I hope you have a restful sleep and there are no strange knockings or scrapings or things being flung around your home or apartment tonight. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, um, I don't want batteries being thrown at me. I don't want to be like someone playing against any of the Philly sports teams. <laughs> or at least if something happens, just don't be on the nose. Don't drop anything threatening. Like, just make it yeah. mysterious, mysterious and alluring. You know, some a locket, uh, you know, yeah. a, a hint of a clue. I've got to, I've got to find something to uncover the mystery of, of what's going on. But if you're just some emo teenager who needs a route. <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah. I want a partial map from the grounds of my apartment building. Yes. That's, and I'll, I'll there was a hidden do room then. There was a hidden room. Did you not know? And the last known worker down there was sealed in. There is a weird door at the bottom of this apartment building that I've that I've never gone in there, but it doesn't seem like it's for anything. There's nothing that it could be for. Yeah, it's, it's a doorway to actually. another dimension. That'll be episode four of this series. Yep. <laughs> if we survive that long after attracting these demonic forces. I'm Charlie Clawson. I was Ben McClay. Listener.